0: The facts. In a talent market that is more competitive and less understood than any other time in history, it's the facts that matter. Welcome to Start Smart, the podcast that delivers the facts, the latest research and data on the key issues and opportunities facing talent acquisition and HR professionals. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Start Smart, the podcast that focuses on the data, the latest research in talent acquisition. My name is Peter Weddle. I'm the CEO of TA Tech. And I'm Shalia Gray. I'm the VP of Global Talent Acquisition for Quadient. And we're going to take a look at a document from AMS in this episode. It's got the intriguing title of Exploding Digital Myths in Talent Acquisition. But first, I'd like to let you hear from our sponsor. Acquire is a brand new solution that's just been released by Kilo, an established recruitment marketing and technology agency. Here's how it describes Acquire. Acquire is programmatic jobs distribution with easy apply. It's been developed to address the shortcomings and pain points within the programmatic recruitment marketing space. By building a modern platform with true campaign management capabilities, we're changing the game in programmatic technology. What does that mean? Well, first, our technology uses real time data and machine learning to optimize performance and control spend, maximizing your ROI. Second, we set up your jobs on Quick Apply even when it hasn't been adopted in the past. With our software, you can add Quick Apply to all, some, or none of your jobs. And third, we provide a customizable dashboard that gives you the ability to manage your campaigns and quickly access data from multiple sources. So say goodbye to logging on to different platform accounts to manage your jobs and candidates and say hello to Acquire's one-stop shop. Visit us at AcquireROI.com. Again, that's AcquireROI.com. Okay, so again, we're going to be talking about uh, an AMS report entitled Exploding Digital Myths in Talent Acquisition. Now, apparently the report's going to cover five myths eventually, but right now they've only published their view on one. So, myth number one that they're that we're going to talk about today is talent technology will replace the need for recruiters and sourcers. They're going to explode that myth. Now. To be clear, um, th- this uh, white paper is is not like the kind of surveys and database based uh, reports that Shalil and I typically take a look at. Uh, it's really an opinion piece by AMS, and, and that's fine. Uh, and it is reinforced with some commentary by some internal AMS and external uh, technology experts. Um, and there is some data in the report or in the in the white paper. In fact, there are two very interesting data points from other sources. First, AMS cites the Boston Consulting Group, which calculated that $12 million in venture capital was spent on talent technology in the year 2021 alone. Now, That's a huge amount of money. And if you looked at some of the more recent surveys that uh, Shalila and I have discussed, one from Aptitude Research, for example, it indicated that employers were going to continue to spend on that pace in 2022 as well. So that $12 billion number may understate how much money is flowing into talent technology right now. And AMS also cites the Citrix Work 2035 report. And it found that the technology tipping point. Now, I hadn't heard that phrase before, but it's an interesting one. The technology tipping point, which they define as the year when HR professionals believe organizations will generate more revenue from technology and AI than from humans. And they believe that technology tipping point is going to occur in 2028 or 2029. Now, think about that. That's well within the career span of most recruiters working today. So let, let's begin our discussion by focusing on that. Uh, if If as most HR professionals apparently believe, companies are going to generate more revenue from technology and smart machines than from smart people, and they're going to do so in the very near term, then what does that mean? That means inevitably companies are going to shrink their workforces. They're going to invest where they can make the most money. And HR professionals apparently believe that's with smart machines. So the question really isn't whether technology is going to replace recruiters. That's that's unlikely to happen anytime within the lifetime of today's recruiters. But it is going to replace an awful lot of workers for which recruiters have been traditionally recruiting, which means that requirement is no longer there. And McKinsey and Company has said that the, the pace of uh, installing this new technology to replace workers actually accelerated during the pandemic. So that technology tipping point may actually occur before 2028 or 2029. So what do you think, Shalila? Will employers, are they going to use uh, so much technology to get work done that there's no longer
1: going to be a need for recruiters? You know, they've been talking about how automation um, is going to replace recruiters for for years now. I mean, they talked about it on on the TA side when applicant tracking systems came in. You know, once we get this applicant tracking system, we'll replace parts of TA. No, TA actually grew. They talked about when they um, came up with chatbots to make to to concierge different things. If you think about it, and you're going to pay a bill today, or you're working with a service of any kind, there's usually a chat bot out there to help you. Has that reduced the amount of people that companies hire? No, it hasn't. Um, so this 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 thought that uh, that there will be a workforce that is totally automated. You know, that's something with George Jetson. I, I just have not seen it occur. I've just seen us repurpose work in other ways, even though automation has come out there to augment it.
0: Well, yes, and I and I and I want to I want to focus on that issue in, in just a moment. But what this report also said was, let's leave aside whether technology can replace recruiters, and let's talk for just a moment about how technology is replacing the work of a whole bunch of other people in the enterprise, salespeople, marketing people.
1: See, that's what I'm saying. I I don't think that's occurring. So, you know, we have added many pieces of technology, you know, the CRMs to help with, you know, managing lead generation. And you've had had all this technology out there and you would have thought, oh, we don't need, let's say we won't need um, sales development reps because we'll augment the, the the work that they do. They've, they've set that for years with functions and there's very little. The only areas where I see that that's actually taking place is I used to work for an organization, we did robotics, right? So when I was in manufacturing, I saw machines replace people on the manufacturing line in certain capacities that were doing repetitive work. Um, and so I saw that occurring. But did I see? Do I see large numbers of the types of jobs that I used to hire? No, I don't. I, I really don't. Well, certainly the potential is there. The potential is there, but each time they say that, there's still always got to be some decision making in 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 work. And so that's when I feel like that's when they get nervous. is when you decide to let automation be a decision maker, right? Yeah, I I, I mean, I, what what
0: is compelling to me is uh, a study that was done by a, a couple of uh, Oxford university researchers. And I think this was six or eight years ago, but they looked at us federal reserve data and they said, you know, given the state of the art of automation back then, so let's say 2019, 2018, you could automate 47% of all jobs or of the, of the tasks in all jobs uh, you know, in the economy. So Uh, if McKinsey is right, that the the pandemic actually accelerated the introduction of that kind of technology, don't you think that's, you know, we may not actually see it at this very moment, but don't you think it's likely to have an impact on headcount?
1: I think it should. The issue is adoption. I mean, uh, as I said, you know, I lived in I lived in uh, Texas, and they were experimenting with um, not having, you know, checkers in uh, grocery stores, right? Making everything automation automated. They had that when I went to Europe. There was a lot of that there. Why isn't it more, you know, well adopted here, right? You know, we've gone to in COVID, we started doing more self service in grocery stores, but we still have someone overseeing the self service line. Right, so I, what I say is that it is it is very possible, but what always has to happen is you have to then uh, allow the technology to make decisions. And I think we are very cautious about black and white things that technology can do. Even when we did chatbots. Chatbots don't make decisions. We create scripts for chatbots, um, and then they become you know more educated as they learn on what type of co- questions, whatever. But we are very reluctant to put full automation. They've been talking about um, truck driverless cars for how long for uh, driverless trucks for how long. Right. Because they said, you know, most of the people that are driving trucks is an aging population. It's hard to recruit for truck drivers, the routes, all of the things in there. They can drive longer, whatever. They've been working on that for at least 10 years right and tesla has shown that you can make cars drive us but still they haven't pulled the trigger right on using technology so i think it's possible i think it's a great saver it's just i just don't think an industry has said let's do it well you
0: you may you may be right i mean i think uh the problem well it's not a problem the the generator the the thing that's tapping the brakes uh, is not so much the capability, of the technology. Although certainly that's there. It's there and dri- it's there in driverless vehicles. It's there in other places. But it really may be our comfort level with letting machines do things that historically humans have done, and that's really a transition period. Over time, where the machines are going to get even more capable, and we're going to get more comfortable seeing machines do this stuff. Uh, and and it, it, whether it happens by twenty twenty eight or uh, you know, 2038, at some point, I think we're going to begin to see workforces shrink, particularly if we continue to have pressure on the
1: ability to get skilled people for a lot of these jobs. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that because, you know, as I read the articles in the last couple of weeks, they've been talking about given the the number of large layoffs Right. We've all seen the larger layoffs between the Twitters and the Facebooks and now Amazon, all the large layoffs. Uh, there was a period there when we said, you know, we couldn't find workers. Now it looks like there's a barrage of workers that are entering the workforce. Now, it's, it's a choice if they go back to their traditional jobs, change careers. But every time we go through this cycle where we think we know the answer, something else pops up. <laughs> something 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 else pops up and so that's why i feel like this technology piece they've been experimenting for so long and they, and it could be an answer um I, I just would like to see someone say let's try let's try um i went to uh years ago when i lived in texas i went to the first completely automated uh library in the country it's in it's in um it's in um san antonio So everything is digital. It's a completely digital library. But when you walk in, I was like, I was expecting, I wanted to see it, I was like, because I love libraries and I want to see how do you do a completely digital library. But you walk in and there has to be a person to verify that you are from Austin to be able to access the library. There's gotta be a person to get you on the tech. It's like, okay, so you're not completely digital. You have a librarian and you have a library staff. What it is is just just that it's opposed to books they are ipads and they are um you know um workstations everywhere but you know there's still people still people so let me ask you the most important question do
0: they have a machine that goes shh be quiet <laughs> <You
1: know? laughs> no they have rooms for that they have quiet <laughs> rooms for that uh, gotcha. so I was like, oh, gotcha. okay
0: uh, OK, well, uh, we certainly kicked that issue around here, here. You know, let's get to the heart of their their view on uh, the fact that talent technology will not replace the need for recruiters and sourcers. And, and I, I agree with that, but I do think it oversimplifies the issue. And I, I think we we can take a look at three different facets. First, there are some talent technologies that are affordable and being used by SMBs take job boards and some ATSs. But many of these products are designed for enterprise employers, and they are way beyond the budget and staff capabilities of smaller companies. So the the issue of whether or not talent technology will replace recruiters is really only applicable to a specific cohort of the recruiter population. And I think that's a problem. I think, I mean, SMBs employ, they're they're the largest employers in the country. They employ more people by far than enterprise employers. So I think we need a revolution in the design and development of talent technology so it can be used by employers on Main Street. Now, I know you work for a large employer, Shaleo, but what do you think? Does that make sense?
1: It's coming. It's coming because I can tell you, I, I, you know, I've seen the evolution of just ATSs and ATSs in the very beginning, you had to have, you know, it it was an integrated system. It wasn't software as a service in the beginning, right? Only big players could afford it and all of that. Then it became software as a service. Then you had to think about, you know, implementation teams. And now you have um, ATSs in all spaces. You have ATSs for very small companies that are startups all the way up to very large enterprise companies. It's coming. So I think many of the things that we see that are afforded only for large organizations, it's coming. I'm even surprised I've met peers out there because I consider workday as an enterprise tool that you need to have a certain amount of people to spend that much time in the implementation because of what it all takes for workday. And now I've seen companies with less than less than a thousand people employ workday. So there either must be a price point that's different or scale or something else is there. So I see that there's going to be something in every space for every price point and every size organization that's coming.
0: Well, I hope you're right, because if any one group needs the advantages that uh, we believe talent technology can deliver, it's that small and mid-sized business where you know, where we're the, the, if you've got an HR department, it's such a small number of people, might be one person, let alone, uh, you know, two or three or four. Uh, and so they're going to need tools that, you know, can be easily implemented, easily, uh, you know, trained on and then easily used.
1: And, and I think that I think that people are, try, are figuring that out. I mean, you know, I'll give a plug out here. I used to be a part of an organization, Direct Employers. And one of the things that direct employers, because they had all kinds of, you know, organizations from nonprofits all the way up. And one of the things that became a boom was employment branding. Right. Everybody needs a brand. Well, guess what? Not everybody has a large marketing department. You know, And and oftentimes your product marketing department won't help your T.A. department. I don't know what's going on there. Um, And so then you are having to go out to the marketplace for these ad agencies. Right. To help you do some of the things. Like, for example, if you wanted to put a, a veteran translator on there, guess what? Direct employee said there is a niche here for those companies in that smaller space, that nonprofit space that wants to take advantage, and they created their own company, Recruit Rooster, to help those people in that smaller space. And you know what? It, I, you know, I, I, I checked back with them a while ago, and they they're doing well. Um, because everybody needs some of the same tools to engage with, with the talent out there, and organizations are realizing that they need to be in all spaces. So I think when you talk about technology, it right now the price point. If you're small, if you're a technology company coming up with something new, smaller companies won't give you the big bang for the buck potentially, either name recognition or enough revenue generation, whatever. But They're a great place to try out a new technology, right, Um, before you actually blow it up and and try for the enterprise model. So I think that there is a space for everyone out there.
0: Well, let's talk about that enterprise employer uh, situation. I think the, you know, the myth buster statement is correct, but it overlooks a key consideration. And it's one that you and I have talked about a couple of times. Uh, talent technology can only provide the benefits that AMS sites like lower cost to hire, faster time to fill openings, the acquisition of higher caliber talent. It can only do that if the technology is properly implemented. And, and in my view, there's the rub. Uh, all too often, it's not. The conventional process, unfortunately, um, is to put the IT department in charge of implementation because the TA staff doesn't have the technical skills to, to do it. Uh, but according to Forbes, at least, the dirty little secret of the IT department is that 50% of their projects fail. And 97% of those failures aren't due to the technology, they're due to the competence of the IT staff. So what's been your experience, Shalila? You know, ha- have, you, have you been able to get good support from IT? And if so, how'd you work that magic?
1: What I'm going to say is that if you would have asked me 15 years ago, I would say everything I needed, I had to figure out if IT could do it. If I was looking at integration, whatever. But I'm going to tell you, there's a booming industry for HRIS. Human resource people that understand the human resource functions and have worked on tools. Those are people that have probably worked at a success factors, been involved in workday implementations, Oracle tools, SAP tools. Those people who and also those people who worked on implementations at a PWC or Mercer, those people are becoming. Uh, you know some very valuable resources that many organizations are bringing in house and what are they doing they're they're sitting in the hr space they're looking at the total employee journey from you know getting hired to paycheck to offboarding and they're the piece that's in the middle between them and the it function why because there's also another more complex piece which is the request for proposal Many of those people that sit in procurement or even sit in IT don't know how to write the RFP, come up with the vendor list for the RFP in the technology space on the HR side. So that's why those people are becoming a commodity. Just if you just go out there and, and just search an Indeed or LinkedIn jobs, those jobs, they are in high demand right now. It used to be, I used to say that one of the highest functions because it's niche was compensation. Compensation was one of those people I am like, if you're in compensation, you're never going to be without a job because it seems to always be comp jobs. But I'm going to tell you, those people, that industry is what is the buffer now when it comes to technology implementation.
0: Well, their very name is what makes me nervous because, you know, uh, for years and years, uh, talent acquisition and talent technology has sort of been the stepsister in HR. Uh, so in, in your experience, does this growing cohort of HRIS people? Do they have an interest in, do they have even an understanding of the, the unique and, uh, and, and important needs of talent technology versus, you know, compensation planning technology or uh, learning technology?
1: Yes. And I'm going to say many of them that I've met. So I've gone through, you know, multiple ATS implementations and had to use a third party and the people that were over my part of the implementation, because we've done, I've done full systems. So, you know, you got the comp people working on the pay, you know, the payrolling stuff. You got all, you got the performance management. Many of the people that have been in my implementation team are former recruiters, former talent operation managers, or they sat on integration teams. Um, when they had to put technology in their company. And and the one thing about, I'm going to say about talent technology, most of those roadmaps are at least a year. They're not short term. Um, because you got to define stuff, look at cost centers, geography. It's they become very complex. Um, and so those people are typically have some of our background. So logically, they can talk me through options. You know, they're they're not just saying here saying, Um, you know, do you want the chair over here over there? They're saying if you put the chair over there and you want to run a report on you know, time to fill, if you put the chair there, you won't be able to do that because you won't be able to get, you know, from this to there. So they are more, I find they are now more of experts in my space because they came from my space.
0: Well, of course, the other issue has to do with recruiters themselves, you know, the, the, the training they get during implementation and their willingness to actually use the stuff to incorporate it into the way they do their jobs. Now, I I think generally speaking, it's fair to say that solution providers, they they work pretty hard to deliver some good initial training for recruiters on their products. Could it be better? Yeah, absolutely, Uh, at least in some cases. But that's not the biggest problem. It seems to me the more impactful impactful issue is the lack of ongoing training. The, The fact of the matter is that if you don't use this stuff on a regular basis, you need refresher training. And secondly, in today's world, you got a lot of recruiter turnover. So you've got a you know new team coming on board, um, and and it just seems to me that uh, we haven't thought through. I mean, you were just talking about getting the stuff in the door, absolutely essential. But then we have to you know kind of make sure it gets attended to over the long haul. What do you think?
1: I agree. I'm going to say that there's a new concept that you'll see in a lot of companies. Um, If you think about sales, and I I think that recruiting and sales have mirrored, you know, mirrored some several paths. There's a concept in the sales teams called enablement teams, right? Those are the people that ensure the success of the sales teams in terms of all those things. You're finding that um, organizations are now creating, they used to call it operations teams, but they're calling them enablement teams. And those are the people that are helping onboard recruiters making sure that they have accesses to their LinkedIn licenses, their, you know, their platforms, that they're trained, that they have the tools that they have, all those things. I'm finding many more companies are starting to put an enablement department in there to ensure that people are equipped when they onboard and that they're using them. Um, And then they're noticing what new things need to be added to the stack. So I think that's 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 a welcome relief now that I'm seeing that.
0: Well, of course, the mirror image of that. I've I've talked to at least a couple of uh, solution providers that are looking at offering almost a a warranty service. You know, we'll we'll do what we need to do and what we're required to do to install the product in the beginning, but then if you'd like, we can be there over the longer haul to help with this ongoing training requirement or or the fact that sometimes this stuff changes policies. Sometimes it changes procedures. Sometimes it changes process to help you think through all of that change management challenge.
1: That's not new. I mean, it was, oh gosh, uh, 15 years ago when I was um, putting in, I wanted to change out my applicant tracking system at the time. There was a firm out of, uh, out of um, Philadelphia, that I asked to come in, review what I had, think about my requirements, help me do it. But what they were doing for other companies were they were actually using their ATS platform at the time and helping them get reports out or helping them figure out what they needed. And they were their voice to their own, the internal IT group. That's, that's, not, that's not something new. A lot of times we buy systems that are more powerful than what we need and we can't get what we need. And so we'll have, you know, these third parties in there. I remember when Workday came on the scene, there was all these uh, startup companies of people to say, hey, you know, we're here. We are freelancers. If you don't know how to do this or even make the training material. So they've always been these kind of companies that are out there to augment what you need.
0: Well, yeah, and and what but what I thought was different about uh, these uh, handful of companies that have talked to me is th- the, there's a whole constellation of third-party consultants and and companies that'll help you uh, install and keep the stuff running. What I thought was interesting is that the actual developer of the product, the company that really has the expertise in what it can do, what it can't do, and so forth. Uh, they are now thinking that they need to stay closer to the customer over the long haul as a, as a part of what they do rather than simply install the product and watch, uh, march off to the next customer.
1: I think that's a good idea, but I'll tell you in reality, many of the partners that I started with years ago have been bought, have been bought, assimilated, got merged with other companies. So I think in theory, that's a really good idea. But I think when they look at where they need to go in their, their, their roadmap as a company, I think it's hard to achieve that. I, there was a company I used that was relatively new two years ago. I really liked They were a small company, had a great product. Within two years, they got acquired by a, a bigger product. Yeah. You know, if you think about it, if you, if you look out there, you know, how many, you know, uh, applicant tracking systems are standalone? You know, when I first got in, you know, got into the business, all of them were standalone they could integrate with an hrs system but all of them were standalone you know you you see over time that um they and and you know the definition of a true entrepreneur is to take your vision grow it up and eventually move on and start another vision i mean that's a one of the things so i think it's wonderful they want to stay close to the product but you know i don't expect you know mr whirlpool to be at my house you know 20 years after i get the whirlpool to to, to check on the machine. And so I I don't expect, you know, the person who put in, you know, my, uh, my chat bot to still be close with me in five years.
0: Well, no, but Mr. Whirlpool might sell you an extended warranty for three or four years, at which point they will then try to sell you their newest and greatest model
1: of Whirlpool. That is true. Mr. Whirlpool may try to upgrade, but here's the deal. Because technology moves so fast, Mr. Whirlpool, in five years, my, you know, my, my procurement department is going to say, are they still worth the, you know, when the multiple year contract ends, are they still worth the money? Let's look at the market. So I think that our our tastes change. It's like anything else. You know, the grandparents of today did not remodel their kitchen every two to three years. And the people of today (laughs) remodel their kitchen because the price point of the appliances, the ease of moving appliances in and out, it's it's just changed. So I think um, it's nice to have a warranty, but most of us don't expect stuff for life. I know for me personally, if it's a big spend and I can get a multi-year contract and something that takes a long time of implementation, I will do it one time. Um, do I do everything on you know a long-term contract with a warranty? No, because I know I want the ability to get out of a contract and maybe look at the newest and greatest thing from year to year.
0: Well, there you have it. All you refrigerator manufacturers out there, you need to <laughs> knock on Shalila's front door.
1: <laughs> I used to well, work for G appliances. You see, I didn't give them a plug, yeah, but um yeah, Mr. G's yeah. been gone a long time. So but I thought maybe Mr. Whirlpool may have been hanging around, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, this has been a great show. It's a fascinating study. I, I can't wait to see what AMS has to say about myths number two through five. Uh, but uh, do make sure that you take a look at what they've written about uh, busting, exploding, whatever they're doing. uh, Myth number one, which is that technology simply is not going to replace the need for recruiters and sourcers. In our next uh, show, Shalil and I are going to tackle a study by Sapien Insights. It's their 25th annual HR system survey. Lots of good data in that uh, report. So we'll be looking at that as well. Thanks very much, everyone, for joining us for the show. Make sure that you stop by tatech.org forward slash start dash smart to listen to the show or download it at wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Thanks very much. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. That concludes this episode of Start Smart. Thanks very much for joining us and come back for our next episodes on the latest research that will help you shape your talent acquisition with the facts. See you then.